Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the assistant managing editor of the paper, and I'm filling in today for your regular host, Emma Graney, with me to help me out and ease me through this uh, this hosting opportunity. I've got Keith Durine, provincial affairs columnist. Hi, Keith. Hi, how's it going? Oh, good. I was listening. Emma usually has like nicknames for everybody, and I'm not good at nicknames, so we'll just go with your regular names if that's okay. I'm all right with that. Okay. That's, that's all right. right. Although we've got uh, Dave Breckenridge, also known as Break and wrap. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's actually called me that before. Sure. <laughs> we should though. Dave yeah. is managing editor and also host of Post Media's Ten Three podcast, which you should always listen to if you can. I, I'll, I'll give you your five bucks after the show for saying that. <laughs> no, I love it. It's uh, the last two episodes have been particularly uh, good. I thought. And Claire Clancy, legislative affairs columnist, provincial affairs. No, Claire Clancy, provincial affairs reporter. Thanks for joining us, Claire. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I also am a fan of Ten Three, so give yeah, me five bucks too. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all just... I'll just hand out money. You go yeah. hit subscribe and then send me proof with a photo. I'm kidding. I don't yeah. have any money. Oh, yeah. by the way, did I forget to mention I am also a fan <laughs> <laughs> of Ten Three. We're really wanting some some cash. So, in for addition coffee. to Ten Three, we are going to talk about some things today that relate to Alberta politics. Uh, three topics that we want to hit. We want to hit on. Uh, where Jason Kenny hangs his hat these days. And in fact, we are going to call this the Where Kenny Hangs His Hat edition. Um, we've got uh, a plan to talk about um, what's going on with the NDP. Some uh, relatively high profile members have said that they're actually not going to run in the upcoming election. And then we want to look at political fundraising, which had some pretty interesting uh, numbers come out uh, this week. So why don't we start with the topic that certainly dominated social media this week. And I know that we were talking a lot amongst ourselves as we tried to sort it out. The question of Jason Kenney and uh, whether there was anything improper about any of his expenses related to residency when he was as a federal MP. Um, someone fill fill me in on exactly what the details were of this controversy, I guess we'll call it right now. Sure. So I'm going to be as broad as possible on this because I think it's easy to get really into the weeds with a story like this one. But basically, um, what came, what's at issue here is between 2013 and 2015, where uh, Kenny had his primary residence declared. So under House of Common rules, um, MPs, can have their primary residence in their constituency even if they're not there for a certain number of days a year or if they're traveling there. Kenny's primary residence was in Calgary. Um, his secondary residence, which he claimed around $10,000 a year for in expenses, was in Ottawa, which is all above board and all within the rules. What has become an issue now is that um, an Ontario lawyer raised an issue with the fact that Kenny's primary residence was in the basement of his mother's retirement home. And there have been questions about whether or not he actually was a primary residence in Calgary when he was claiming it as such. All week, Keith and I have been talking about were any rules broken here? And the answer is not as far as we can see. Not obviously, yeah. Right. Um, I think that's kind of the best way to explain it. But did I miss anything on that? No, I think that's the main thing. I, I mean, the his mother lived in a what's called a cottage or a small bungalow at this retirement community in Calgary. There are a lot of questions about 
you know, whether there was uh, the facility allows, um, you know, subtenants in there. There's questions about whether it's even possible to put a bedroom in the basement as where Kenny claims that he slept during uh, the times he was with his mother, uh, that he paid her some sort of rent, uh, whether that was allowed, uh, whether adult children can stay in a retirement community at all, whether this was an appropriate place for him to declare a primary residence. As you said, I don't see any obvious rules that were broken uh, from parliamentary residents, but the the claim is that from Kyle Morrow and others who are opponents of Kenny is that he, he almost sort of made up this residence. It's a residence in name only in Calgary. He has to have a primary residence in order to claim a secondary residence. And so they say in that sense, maybe he didn't violate the letter of the law, but certainly the spirit of it. Um, now, Kenny's people push back and say, well, no rules were broken. Cabinet ministers are busy. They have to be in Ottawa or traveling all the time. So what's what's wrong with this, right? Yes, you're not at home in your constituency very often, but you do need to, or, or you should have some sort of residence there, as, as, as uh, most people do. They need to stay in their own community to some degree. Um, but in the end, is this really out of order for a busy cabinet minister? And part of the issue that was raised was that in one year he expensed four flights going back to Calgary and in another year he expensed 10. And the question was, was he in Calgary enough? But there are no rules saying that a cabinet minister or an MP has to be in their constituency for a certain number of days a year. Um, so, And his uh, staff do say yeah, he was busy. He was flying around the world when he was in his portfolios, um, which we know, and across Canada. So, uh, yeah, this has been a really interesting week because this issue has been so blown up and people on both sides have just been screaming their opinions about what the issue is. We saw um, Kenny's Deputy Chief of Staff, Matt Wolf, go on the radio to talk about this, which is a kind of rarer move as well. Um, So it's been really interesting seeing both sides kind of defend their positions. Dave, what did you make of the reactions to the initial, I mean, it came out, this was one of those stories that if, if you weren't on Twitter in the initial days, you, you it, that's where it started. The the allegations were, were put out on Twitter. Um, but then it was the, there was a strong reaction uh, from both sides. Well, I, I think that, sides. I think that Kenny's opponents have really been trying to make this stick. You know, at first it was, oh, why is he claiming residency with his mom? And we get an explanation from the UCP and Kenny as to why. Um, you know, when his parents were getting older, I believe it was his dad who was quite sick, and then his dad passed away. He was he right. was helping take care of them. And then the opponents were saying, oh, well, why is he only taking four flights a year or ten flights a year back to Calgary? Well, he's a busy cabinet minister. Oh, well, did he sign get it signed off on properly? Well, yeah, I got it approved by uh, the people who needed to prove it in advance of the situation. So there's this constant motion of trying to make this controversy stick to Kenny and Kenny and his supporters doing their best to to duck around it. Now, as as Keith said, I've, lo- I've looked at it, other people have looked at the controversy on the whole and said, well, based on what the rules state, it doesn't appear that he's done anything wrong. Other reporting has gone to other reporters in Calgary have gone to the retirement residents and their neighbors who say, well, no, I never saw him there. Is that proof that he wasn't there? I don't know. Is it a, is it great optics? Possibly not. If you have a guy who's formerly a Canadian Taxpayers Federation guy who who would hold up matters of government misspending 
Um, does it look great on him? Possibly not, but it's a question of how big an issue does it now become? Does it go beyond this Twitter echo chamber and turn around and and stick to Kenny as being a problem for him in the campaign? I don't think it does. Oh, I honestly, I honestly don't think it's going to hang on him. Like, and I think as well. Well, I think as well. It's important to point out that the NDP are not hammering this hard anymore either like or they sorry they've asked they've asked for an investigation they've asked for an investigation but when we asked the premier about it they're very careful to not say well we know he broke this rule x y and z which also says something right yeah they did raise some questions though about whether this raised questions about political donations in ontario that was that That they did in the early day days they they did try that card but that didn't go very far well, well, we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, there, there is, yeah, Kenny apparently is listed as having made a donation and therefore they say this is proof of him being a resident of Ontario because you cannot in Ontario make a donation to the Ontario PC party if you are a resident of another province. And so they claim this is, this is proof that Kenny was an Ontario resident, not an Alberta resident during his time as a cabinet minister. They, the, uh, the, the, the PC, the UCP fires back and says, well, no, this was just a registration fee. It gets listed as a donation. Donation, but uh, it wasn't actually a he didn't intend to donate to the party. And if, if there's any mistake here, it's the party's fault. It's not Jason Kenney's fault. What did you make of the UCP reacting so strongly to this? It's not often that we have such a public response to things like this, including, um, you know, Kenny's people going out and doing some interviews on it. Well, I think the reaction was over the top. I think they may have actually worked to inflame the situation more than actually quell it. Uh, it was an interesting over-the-top response. But I, I think part of the reason they're so amped up over this uh, is because there is a narrative here about Kenny being on Albertan, that he's basically a tourist back in the province, uh, but has been absent from Alberta. He's been in Ontario uh, for during his federal career. And I think they are very sensitive to that. I think they see that as potentially damaging. And so that's really the narrative I think that they're going after here uh, and coming out so strongly against it. The, the problem for Kenny's opponents who really want to make this stick is you, took, you saw how long it took us to even explain this, right? Uh, this is not a, a scandal like the Derek Fildebrand thing where he rented out his Airbnb apartment. Um, broke no rules, but rented out on Airbnb for-profit, a taxpayer-funded apartment. That took 10 seconds to explain. This Kenny controversy takes like two minutes to explain. By that point, most people have tuned out. They don't get what the issue is. And also, I just want to say, it's also not a Duffy 2.0 situation, which some people are trying to make that comparison. And the rules are different for senators versus MPs. It really, I think that's a really unfair comparison for people to be trying to make right now. And Duffy had lived in Ottawa for years before he was appointed to the Senate. And then, oh, I've got a cabin in... PEI, and that's my primary right. residence. Right. The, the, the whole issue of, of questioning whether Jason Kenney, you know, he has, he's not come back for you. Like the, the whole right. conservative campaign against Michael Ignatieff in, in 2011 was he didn't come back for you. It takes a lot of gumption to turn around and try and use a busy cabinet minister's record against him. We would want... I would think our federal politicians, if they go serve in cabinet to serve the whole country, I get that they have responsibilities as MPs to their constituents in their riding. But at the same time, let's not tarnish work that cabinet ministers, and it doesn't matter the party, you know, Christia Freeland has spent a lot of time outside of Canada as the 
uh, foreign affairs minister. We want her doing that. That's her job. If she doesn't spend as much time in her riding, and I know that she's she serves in Ontario riding that's probably closer to Ottawa, um, closer to Parliament, it may be easier for her, but we want her doing that. I wouldn't want to see her at some other point in life if she decided to run for provincial politics somewhere to have that record used against her. Because again, every one of the things that comes up every time there's a controversy is, oh, you wonder why people don't run for politics. Well, this is that's part of the reason. We'd want people to put themselves forward as being potential stars in government and cabinet ministers because they are they do important work for the country. And that and that's not a partisan issue. We want solid people to be able to serve all Canadians in their portfolios as as best they can. I think at the end of the day, there's some questions here that maybe are a little dodgy for Kenny. You know, perhaps the rules uh, around parliamentary residency claims should be tightened. Perhaps he should not have claimed this particular residence where it's it's dodgy whether an adult child could stay as, as his primary residence. Perhaps he should have been in Calgary a little more often just to kind of keep up those uh, those connections. But at the end of the day, I, I just I, I'm finding it really hard to get outraged about this. We have seen, though, I can I can see why uh, the conservatives would be worried. We have seen over the years how relatively small amounts of money are the things that can stick in people's craw. We've seen that over the years with the progressive conservatives here in Alberta. Federally, it isn't always, you know, sometimes you would think, oh, these it's the multi-million dollar things that should um, weigh the politicians down. But in fact, it's the smaller amounts of money, you know, the thousands of dollars here, little bits there that can stick. You can get your head around that as an individual. So mm-hmm. um, we'll, I guess, see where this goes. So it wasn't a perfect week for the NDP either. I think here in Edmonton, we saw Notley give a darn fine campaign speech from everything I could see at the Chamber of Commerce. It, I, I felt like this, Claire and I were talking about how this week may be the week where they've gone from governing to campaign mode. We were hearing about no sales tax if elected, uh, no tolls, definitely trying to contrast the NDP record with what they uh, say the Conservatives would do. But uh, then they had some folks say that they weren't going to be aboard that team in the next election. So what happened? Calgary MLA and Infrastructure Minister Sandra Jansen has said that she won't be running again, um, saying that it was a decision she made after discussing the options with her family. And then um, Strathcona, Sherwood Park MLA and Government Whip Stefania Cortes Vargas um, also said she's not planning to run. And so that was that basically brought the total to, I think, 10 NDP MLAs now who have said they're not going to run in the next election. And I think what's interesting here is there have been some critics that are saying, you know, are these MLAs who are jumping ship because they know that the NDP are going to lose? And when I've been asking the NDP about a response to that, they've said, like, absolutely not. This is not an issue. This is people who are making the decision for themselves whether or not to run. um, And it really means nothing in the broad scheme of things. The only day that matters is election day, is I think the line that I've heard a couple of times. Right. It is interesting, though. We're talking about close to 20% of their caucus deciding not to run again. Uh, some of that seems quite legitimate. Brian Mason, it's you know, he's he's definitely wanting to retire. Uh, there's been a Brandy Payne and, and Stephanie McLean, for example. Uh, you know, young young children uh, may not mesh very well with a, a political life at this point. Some of the others, though, I, I do wonder, and and you do see quite a few in Calgary where the poll results. I'm sure they can read poll results as as well as as we can, and, and it's not. 
not looking promising right there for uh, in that city for the NDP right now. So you do have to wonder. Uh, certainly the opposition is characterizing this as, you know, rats abandoning a sinking ship and so on. Um, you know, uh, Notley's still all smiles, though, just, uh, you know, ready to get on with the campaign and they'll have new candidates. Uh, they're still behind on their candidates at this point. And, and that's the thing. It'll be interesting to see who steps in for, in particular, in Sandra Jansen's riding. That's a big loss is Sandra Jansen. Now, she's facing a particularly tough race. The UCP has put up a very strong female candidate, Sonia Savage, there to go against her. Uh, I suspect she was in big trouble trying to get reelected, and the UCP has, in particular, made it a mission to have defeated her. I guess they'll have to refocus at this point. But uh, that—that's Sandra Jansen stepping down is is a big loss for them. Yeah, definitely. I was I was surprised. I thought she had been in the definitely running column. Uh, Sandra Jansen. Am I? Am I Last wrong Last summer, about she that? said she was running. Last said summer, she said, "I'm going to run. I'll be. Mm-hmm. I'll be running again in the next election." I think it was a surprise to most people. It's. I mean, you don't know for sure until someone's, you know, brought in their nomination papers. But really, that I. I was a bit surprised. I thought she would run. So, how how does that hurt them? I mean, she was a high profile. Uh, floor crosser, uh, certainly a, a big name for the NDP. Um, and she's been outspoken. She hasn't been afraid to uh, get into the fight with the UCP in all forums. So are, what what are they going to be missing without her? Well, I mean, one of the things that I think she brought to the party, um, you know, the NDP has... Uh, throughout its history had to fend off claims that it's a very insular party it, it's uh, you know too closely tied to the unions uh, attracts only a certain type of uh, people with a certain type of worldview Sandra Jensen changed that she was a conservative she walked across the floor to the NDP uh, it was proof that this was a a big tent party that R- Rachel Notley was more of a centrist figure than a, than a leftist figure in some ways so for her to leave at this point uh, maybe does a bit of damage to that uh, that progress that uh, may have been made to the the NDP's reputation. Uh, if we think that uh, you know money talks, then there was another story this week that certainly uh, is worthy of our attention. Um, the final fundraising figures for the year uh, were released by the uh, folks who oversee these things. Is that elections uh, Alberta? It's these elections days? Alberta. <laughs> right? It is still yeah. elections Alberta. I, now that there's two different people overseeing different parts of uh, aspects of campaign finance rules. Both appear super busy already. I don't want to misspeak. So, um, Claire, what what happened? The UCP raised $6.66 million in 2018. That number, believe me, (laughs) people have been chuckling a little bit at that number. (laughs) Um, The NDP, uh, $3.39 million. Um, and that compared to uh, 594,000 by the Alberta Party, 196,000 from the Liberals and the Freedom Conservative Party, um, just shy of 40,000. So not a big shock here. The UCP raised uh, far and above all the other parties. What was really interesting about Emma's story this week, and I hope she's having a good flight to India um, <laughs> right now, but what was really interesting was she did find out that all the parties are in violation of elections rules. All, all the major parties. All the major parties right and it's um because as we know you're limited by donations of four thousand dollars and the parties are um responsible i guess for tracking that and giving money back if people donate more than that and they're going to have to do that because people have been donating above the limit that's outlined in legislation 
Yeah, it's funny. It's not a huge amount. Uh, I think the UCP is going to have to pay back about 30000 The uh, NDP, who <laughs> were the ones that really set the rules, they're going to have to pay back 24000 uh, And I can't remember what it is for the Alberta Party, but there's a, there's a bit of money that has to go back as well, and the Liberals as well. And the, often it's just people, you know, say they donated $3,000 in the first quarter, and then they tried to donate another $3,000 in the fourth quarter, and suddenly they're at 6000 for the year, and they're over the limit. But the party should be checking this that's the and I think that's what is the big question for everyone who has been watching these um, like election donation rules being reformed is why aren't they tracking this better so Dave does this mean we're gonna see in the coming election a huge amount of money going into these races no because they're not allowed um, the ND like it'll be They'll be spending as much as they can, but the NDP government has put a, what is it, a $2 million limit per party? Right. Plus, don't forget, though, 50000 per constituency as well. Yeah. So that's where they could spend a lot more money than they used to. That's true. So, I mean, it'll be an interesting campaign. It's, I, what I find interesting about the, the, the fact that they all have to pay back some money is that their voter base as big or as small as it may be, you have some people who are really eager. They want to, they want to give money. They want to get involved in politics. And, and, you know, I'm of the mind and I'm not a fan of the, the spending caps. Uh, I, I, I'm not as, I don't have a big an issue on the donation caps, but I, I'm happy to see in some ways that there are people willing to put their money where their mouths are and, and get involved in supporting a party that they're keen on. I don't think I'd give any money to any of them, but that's just me. I like spending caps, but that's where you might disagree, <laughs> I guess. Well, a couple other takeaways here. So uh, $6.66 million for the year for the UCP, that's a, that's an enormous figure. I don't think we've seen figures like that before. Almost $4 million in the fourth quarter alone, which was more than the NDP brought in all year, more than all the other parties combined, or close to it anyway. So that that's a huge amount of money. Um and, and will allow them to do some things during the campaign. But the NDP also is well above where they usually are as well, right? Uh, 3.4 million for the year, 1.5, over 1.5 for the fourth quarter. That's gonna allow them to be very, very competitive during the election as well. The Alberta party also did better uh, I was surprised by the Alberta yes. Party fundraising amounts. That's right. So that may be the effect of Stephen Mandel, who certainly knows how to fundraise. Um, and so he that they're going to be competitive. That's enough to, to have a presence during the election as well. So it tells me that there are a lot of Albertans invested in this election. And maybe, you know, the, the lower limits has encouraged more people to come out. Maybe people see this as a really pivotal election. Um, we'll see what happens in terms of voter turnout. But at this point, it looks like people are really, really engaged in Alberta politics right now. So if you're sick of seeing uh, political ads during hockey night in Canada and the playoffs, depending on when the election actually falls, we may be into NHL playoffs. If you're sick of seeing those, too bad. Because they are allowed to spend. They can spend their rules are different. They can spend outside of the election period. Right. So they both all the parties could be looking to spend a good chunk of that money now since they're not going to be able to spend it during the election. Right. And not just the parties. We're also talking about the third party advertisers, right. the right. PACs, right? And so those, some of those fundraising numbers are out as well. Uh, just for the, the this sort of pre-election period, uh, December 1st till the actual writ drop is, is they have to declare uh, uh donations in that period. So shaping Alberta's future in the last six weeks has already raised $277,000. 
and uh, the uh, Alberta Teachers Association has uh, put uh, 270000 of its own money into a bank account for election advertising as well. So we could be seeing some uh, some ads from those folks as well. I think we'll be talking a lot about money and uh, election spending and uh, all that in the coming, coming weeks. Uh, we'll move quickly to good stuff from the gallery. I know Claire has to go once again run out to a Rachel Notley infrastructure event yeah. here. So we need, can't keep her long. So Claire, tell us first, what is your... Uh, what is your good stuff this week? Um, I'm going to recommend uh, the piece from The Atlantic that has been getting a ton of attention about the director, Brian Singer, who has been accused of um, abusing young actors in the industry. Uh, Really shocking read and kind of considered maybe the next Harvey Weinstein scandal um, in Hollywood and definitely worth a read. Uh, The Atlantic investigated, or sorry, the reporters uh, for that the reporters that did this piece investigated um, the allegations for a year before the story was brought to print. So it's an excellent piece of journalism, and I would highly recommend it. Thanks, Claire. I'm going to recommend something that I actually recommended to all of the uh, newsroom staff earlier this week. It was a piece in the Charleston Post and Courier, and it's almost a year old now, but I came across it and just thought it was an amazing piece of writing about a complicated business story. Um, And I any chance I always had when I lived in South Carolina to say Piggly Wiggly, I would take. So it was about the uh, the rise and fall of Piggly Wiggly, which was a chain of grocery stores. But the the piece, the series, the investigative work was called Sticking with the Pig, a tale of loyalty and loss. And it wasn't just like any grocery store closing because it was they had had all of the employees as shareholders as well. So uh, it was anyways, for a story about a grocery store chain, beautifully written. And also, if you're interested in how reporters deal with complicated business stories, I thought it was a good example of that. Keith? Yeah, I'm also going to pick something not of the uh, the politics ilk, because when I go home at night, I try to find some other form of escapism. Uh, so this is we'll a, to change that. Yes, exactly. Uh, so this is called The Hunt for Planet Nine, uh, a long read from my author named Shannon Sterone. Uh, and it's just basically about the, the teams of scientists who are trying to find the ninth planet in the solar system. They know it's there because the gravity measurements suggest that it's there but they haven't actually been able to find it with a telescope yet. So that sort of goes through the process uh, of how they are trying to do that. Not Pluto. Pluto is not a planet anymore. Yes. Well, okay. Yes, all right. We won't get into that right now because (laughs) listeners have better things to do than hear us argue about the solar system. Um, Dave, what have you got for Uh, good stuff? I'm going to go back to our... our uh, fawning over my podcast at the beginning of the show. I'm not going to recommend my podcast, but for the latest episode, I had a conversation with Brian Fitzpatrick from the National Post, who has been, he's not covering the trial of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, uh, who is the alleged head of the Sinaloa drug cartel, but he's been picking up some of the threads from testimony at the trial relating specifically to Canada. And he's written a couple of good pieces recently um, about Canadians who are kind of tied up in that uh, drug network. Um, So there's a couple stories related to two Canadians, one who goes by the nickname Russian Mike and the other who goes by the nickname Catboy um, and and their alleged links to this uh, massive drug smuggling operation. Well, thanks everyone. And uh, we'll be back next week at the Press Gallery. 